today on 2C Vans. Um, also, corals can release their gametes, so gametes are the egg and sperm. They can release those into the water column for external fertilization, so those species are called broadcast spawning species. And then you also have brooders, and they have internal fertilization and development where the sperm will find a female colony, um, fertilize her internally, and then she'll release um, larger competent larvae for, for settlement. So. Most okay, species. I, I, I just thought that they were really emo this whole time. I was going to say, brooders sound like young know, yeah. guys. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Maybe they are. Like, they're just they're just grumpy. Grumpy. And they're the females. Oh, no. <laughs> wait for somebody to come by. They're so and dark. I'll, I'll jump them, yeah. That's not what I meant. Oh. But anyway, hello and welcome to Two Sea Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory, your podcast for marine science, conservation, and education here at Moat in Sarasota, Florida. I'm Haley Rutger. And I am Joe Nicholson. Hello, Joe. It's been a while. It's been a while, Hales. Yeah, it's good to be back. Where you been? Oh, you know, the holidays and such, and Moat Magazine, a little thing called Moat Magazine. I've been busy. Yeah, It's a big thing. Yeah. But we're here with one of our favorite guests because she was just actually in our December issue of Moat Magazine. Huge new star. Huge new star. Huge. With our new baby corals this year. Oh, yes. So we're gonna, I'm going to let her introduce herself. Can you tell us your name and title, please? Yes, my name is Dr. Hannah Cook, and I'm a visiting research scientist at the International Center for Coral Reef Research and Restoration in the Florida Keys. Oh, that's, yeah, that's our, our moat campus in the Florida Keys. She has a really big <laughs> business card. What? <laughs> We also just call it IC203 oh, to save the breath. <laughs> that's right. That's Our campus is famous for its big name, and also it includes the name of Elizabeth Moore, the wonderful donor who um, who supported creating that amazing campus. That's why yes. Hannah has a big purse, too. Why? To carry that big card. Business card, yeah. <laughs> so how did you get to Moat, Hannah, and uh, what's your focus these days? How, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great question. Yeah. Where did you come from? <laughs> yeah. Um, your mother and father, obviously. Yeah, I don't know how far back you want me to go. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I was born okay. a small child. Okay, in okay. Um, actually, I, I grew up in a, an, as an army brat. My father was in the military, so um, pretty much my whole life, uh, we moved every few years to a new place, and I spent actually most of my formative years in Europe, um, and then I came back to the U.S. to pursue a, a bachelor's degree at Eckerd College. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool, right down here. Actually, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people at Mount that... Our graduates of Eckerd. Yeah, it's a great school. It was yeah. it was a great marine science program and a lot of fun. So, did you figure out really pretty early in life that you like marine science, or did you come into that right when you were going to college, or uh, pretty early on? I would say probably by the age of ten, I knew I wanted to go into marine science. So, uh, part of our uh, family trips that we would take, you know, when we were living in different countries, we'd always travel and go to the beach, and I was always. You know, I wasn't swimming in the water. I wasn't building sandcastles. I was always digging in the sand looking for those weird, bizarre creatures <laughs> that at that age I had no idea what they were. Later, I, I uh, came to find out they were all marine invertebrates. And so actually I, I fell in love with marine invertebrates from a pretty young age. And that's what um, I studied at Eckerd College. Instead of dolls, she played with marine invertebrates. Yeah. I like that. Not dolphins. <laughs> not dolphins. Not dolls, not dolphins. Yeah. Just, Just like the creepy creek. Creepy, bizarre creatures. Well, and they don't get enough respect. They see slugs. That's and, right. Yeah. They do not get enough respect. They are the majority of ocean life, right? <laughs> so, so cool. You were that popular girl at school, right? That's right. 
No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I was like the nerd. <laughs> the nerds are the best. So uh, so getting here at Moat, you do study marine invertebrates. I don't yeah. think of them as creepy crawly, but I think no. of them as the beautiful... The sort of the beautiful garden in which the creepy crawlies live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely, I actually got my first exposure to coral reefs when I met Dr. Eugenie Clark, mm. and um, I went to Papua New Guinea with her for a coral reef research expedition. And that was, I had just gotten certified, and that was my first sort of diving coral reef um, experience, and it was, it was truly amazing. And probably some way, um, in some form, how I ended up back at Moat. Um, yeah, so now I'm working on a coral sexual propagation as a conservation and restoration um, intervention. That's amazing. And we know a little bit about it from our remote magazine this year, and it's super, super amazing, um, I think. And before we dive into it, though, uh-huh. most people, before dive, I dive, dive into, uh-huh. that's an old one. That's not even that funny uh-huh. anymore, Joe. <laughs> but thanks for humoring me. You're welcome. <laughs> Before we get into that more, can you tell us about the life cycle of a coral? Or in, in general, what kinds of stages do they go through that include that sexual reproduction? Yeah, sure. So corals have actually evolved a multitude of reproductive strategies, including asexual and sexual reproduction. Um, they also have different gender systems. So some corals are hermaphrodites, meaning they're male and female. Some corals are gonochores, meaning the colonies are male or female. Um, Also, corals can release their gametes, so gametes are the egg and sperm. They can release those into the water column for external fertilization, so those species are called broadcast spawning species. And then you also have brooders, and they have internal fertilization and development where the sperm will find a female colony, um, fertilize her internally, and then she'll release um, larger competent larvae for, for settlement. So. Most okay, species. I, I, I just thought that they were really emo this whole time. I was gonna say brooders sound like you know. Yeah. Just <laughs> just kidding. Kidding. Maybe they are like. So they're they're really like and they're the females. Oh, 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 wait for somebody to come by. They're so dark. I'll, I'll jump them. Yeah. That's not what I meant. Oh. But anyway, anyway. Well, I'm sure at corals, it's all consensual. <laughs> no, it's totally random. Is they it? just well, yeah, because they just spawn the egg and sperm into the water column, and then you just randomly fertilize each wow. other. So, so it's like the sixties. They don't even know who the daddy is. Wow, <laughs> it is like the sixties. <laughs> uh, but they, they, even though they they seem a little bit like plants in that way, they are animals. And yeah, yes, definitely, there are animals. Mm. So, and I interrupted you. I am so sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. Was there anything else you were going to say about these brooders and spawn uh, Oh, yeah. I was just going to say for the rest of the life cycle, so for the broadcast spawning species, the egg and sperm will fertilize in the water column, forming um, larvae, and then those larvae will swim around and, and search for a nice new home to settle down onto on the reef. And um, that's called coral recruitment, and that means they recruit back into the population. Oh, like so, as a uh, military brat, you know what recruitment is. Yes, like. I know. At first, when I heard recruitment, I was like, what is, what? What? There's an <laughs> office. You have to join where the military? Like, like a sign on the dotted line? And I don't want to go to boot get camp. Get deployed? <laughs> coral yeah. boot camp. What would that look like? Mm. I don't know. So <clears throat> that's a really good um, encapsulation of what a coral does in its life cycle. And another thing that our audiences probably already know pretty well is that coral reefs are having a hard time just getting through their life cycle in the wild and we have coral diseases we have ocean acidification and we have temperature increases that are stressing them out on the reefs especially here in florida and the caribbean there's a lot of challenges so 
in that context of all these challenges, you work on choral sexual reproduction. So how does sexual reproduction matter and how is it being affected by stress? Great question. Um, Choral, uh, choral sexual reproduction matters because um, it can generate offspring that de uh, replenish depleted adult populations. Um, it also produces larvae that can swim to new areas and establish uh, new reefs. It's also a form of uh, genetic exchange. So these larvae can take certain traits with them and, and, and trade them between the different populations. Um, also, very importantly, sexual reproduction generates genetic diversity. So just like with humans, offspring are all genetically distinct. We're all different. And differences matter. Differences are great. Yeah, so, otherwise we'd look the same. Exactly. And, and talk then, the same and think the same. Right. And that would be scary, Haley. And, yeah. That would be really <laughs> scary if I thought like Joe did. Oh, my, I was thinking the same thing. No. If I thought like Joe did. I mean, Haley. <laughs> And that matters because if there's stress or a change in the environment, and if everything's the same, then everything's going to respond the same way. So we need genetic diversity so that the populations um, can effectively respond to stress and change and not everything die. Um, but given that, so with restoration, there's usually two sides of the coin. You have asexual propagation, which is like coral gardening, what you see with the coral trees. And the main purpose of that is to increase coral cover. But we need to really start working on, a, um, on sexual propagation because that's where we're going to get the genetic diversity from. And the reason why it's so important is because the environment is degrading faster than what corals can keep up with. Mm -hmm. And it's having seriously negative consequences for the sexual cycles. So a couple examples are because of, um, you know, disease or bleaching events, we're, we're getting a reduction in the population size. So our, our coral populations are getting smaller and patchy and disconnected. Mm -hmm. Well, think about how that's going to affect the, the possibility of tiny gametes in the water column to actually meet and fertilize each other. Yeah, their chances become lower and lower. Exactly. Yeah. And um, there's also re reports of uh, sexual cycles just failing in general. Um, and Maybe there are corals that are spawning and producing larvae, but because the reef is so covered in algae and other fouling organisms, there's no there's no uh, open territory. No hard surface for them to attach exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. then they can't recruit back into the population. Mm -hmm. And probably the worst effect that we're seeing is um, corals rely on a very specific set of environmental cues to trigger these massed synchronized spawning events. Mm -hmm. But as the environment breaks down and degrades, those cues break down, and so you have spawning asynchronicity. So you have things spawning at different times. And with these corals, the gametes are only viable for a few hours post-release. Oh, really? So yeah, so if you have corals spawning at different times or days, then you're not going to get fertilization and the sexual cycle fails altogether. Yeah, so, they have to happen at the same time exactly. or nothing's happening. Right, so there are def the sexual cycle is definitely taking several hard hits from from the way the environment is degrading. Wow. See, you're kind of like the fertilization doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard so many things like coral matchmaker from uh, Haley, thank you, or like the love doctor. Love doctor. Love doctor. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to actually bring that process into the lab and help the sexual cycle of corals. Smooth jazz and candles, baby. Yep, yep. We we have our uh, our playlist during spawning. There we have go. to make sure we have our, our uh, romantic playlists. Uh-huh. Why didn't Low. you tell the scientists about that years ago, Joe? You knew? I had to have you some secrets. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's really kind of exciting that you guys can use science to help that process along. So how does that happen? Can you, You've told us about the different steps you go through to get the corals raised up and get them spawning. So, like, if somebody has no idea how this works, can you paint a picture of what they would see and, and observe if they were watching you go through this process? Yeah, and make sure. it clean. This is PG. Okay, yeah. I'll try. I'll try the, the mention of sperm to a minimum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we do is we actually we can bring the corals into the lab, and then the corals usually will spawn um, a certain number of days after the full moon in August. So we bring them in before the full moon, and then every night after that, we put every individual coral into its own bucket. Really? And we, yep. And then we monitor them over several a love hours. Bucket. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what a love bucket is, but sure. <laughs> Sounds like a cheap motel. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. And so we monitor them and then we look for coral setting, which is when the gamete bundles um, are moved into position for release. Mm. And then we know that spawning is imminent. And then we uh, then they spawn and the gamete bundles are they're buoyant. So they float to the surface. We use our pipettes to collect them. And then we take them into the lab and in the light because um, corals spawn at night. So everything has to be completely dark. And the only way we can see what we're doing is if we use red headlamps. So we have like the red light district underneath. Nice. (laughs) This is totally like (laughs) Amsterdam here. Yeah. Yeah. So if you come to IC Tour 3. They're in their own love buckets. And there's a red light district. It's dark, but then there's red lights and uh, a lot of coral sex going on. I'm sure you guys have a grand time, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we try to make the best of it. It's it's pretty exciting, especially when you see the corals spawn because it's oh, so yeah. rare. Yeah. It only happens once a year for some species. So when it happens, you get really excited. Then we take the gamete bundles into the light and in the lab. We let them break up because the gamete bundles are actually um, packets of sperm and egg because remember the corals are hermaphrodites. Mm-hmm. And so then we can separate the egg and sperm and then we can use those um, gamete stalks for crossing different corals. And so we literally just pour the eggs and sperm into a, a container, give it an hour and a half to fertilize, rinse them, and then... Uh, you got to have a good rinsing after Yeah, that. several, at least three rinses, you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> you want to get rid of the, the sperm. Yeah. <laughs> That's the objective because uh-huh. you don't want um, the eggs to get over-fertilized. No. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Too much that, sperm is a problem. Can that happen? Yeah, that, that, yeah yes, you can get polyspermy. Oh, like, oh. oh, yeah, that's it's a big yeah. risk. Danger. Yeah. Okay, okay, well, let her. Danger, ex- Haley Robinson. Let her explain danger. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know you have thoughts, but but what is, okay, what's polyspermy before? Not to go down a rabbit hole, but what oh, is that? Oh, you're already there, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, in, it's just in the case of if you have too high concentration of sperm, yeah. um, multiple sperm will fertilize the egg, and, and it just leads to failed fertilization. <sighs> so you want to make sure that you don't leave them sitting for too long. I gotcha. Um, and then... Yeah, so then we rinse them and we, we, we wait for the embryos to develop into little swimming larvae. Mm-hmm. And once they turn into larvae, they start swimming around and we know they're ready. They're like looking for a home to settle. Mm-hmm. Then we set up um, settlement bins. So we give them little ceramic uh, plugs as substrates and we sprinkle on our CCA dust, which is 
It's um, a hard calcareous algae that um, emits a chemical cue to indicate to the coral, like, hey, this is a good spot to come down and settle. Wow. Yeah, because it grows on the reef. Yeah, yeah. Um, and well, I so, didn't know you guys had, like, something that induced or, yeah, or tricked mm-hmm. them into, like, yep. settling. Yep. Who it's came like, up with that? Oh, I don't know, actually. Some I dude. Think that's been a, I think well, that's been around for a while. For and you can use different settlement cues, but CCA is is one of the most successful. So, um, yeah, cool. so we sprinkle. It's purple, and we crush it up, and then we sprinkle it on the plugs, and uh, <laughs> it's Pur- purple. It's purple dust. Purple, purple haze. Dust. No, then you have a purple, purple haze. Purple haze, and it's, it, <laughs> we're all, all about the 60s again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so those those little um, plugs that they're on, they are placed into, tell me, aren't they in, didn't you use a funny kind of container, if I remember right? Oh, yes. <laughs> I used a deli bin container. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Wow. Like your sandwich we're going. Yeah, exactly. So when you go to the deli and you get lunch to uh, like take blue, out. Yeah. yeah. And the reason why is because of the plastic material itself. The composition of the plastic is very slick, so th- things don't stick to it. Ah. And it doesn't, um, it prevents the also the larvae from sticking to it because they'll really settle so on they're anything. they're not attaching, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you don't want them to settle on the bin, so... Huh. So you give them every reason to settle where they want. With do the they, purple dust. With the yeah. purple dust. Do they generally do a good job of settling with all those cues? They oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we had really good settlement this year. We had 50% settlement, which was up from 8% last year. Wow. That's a yeah. huge gain. Yeah. So it was really good. Huh. And then, um, yeah. So th- once they settle, they undergo metamorphosis and they turn into a sexual recruit, which is just a single polyp. Mm. And then they undergo asexual reproduction to you know, multiply and become a colonial animal. They're making more making more polyps without sexual reproduction. Yes. And these are good polyps. Yes. yes. These okay. are good coral polyps. Not Don't, the bad type of polyps. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so a coral, which we should probably say in case anyone isn't sure, they are a colonial animal made up of lots of polyps that make the colony. Correct. Yeah. So they are an animal, but they do have, um, they live in close association with other microbes, and they do have... Uh, algae, like plants, that live in their tissues. And those algae photosynthesize and provide most of the nutrients to the coral. So even though they're an animal, and they do feed, so the the polyps have a mouth and tentacles, and those tentacles have stinging cells that catch prey and bring it to the mouth. Mm -hmm. So they can feed themselves, but they also get most of their energy from the photosynthetic algae that live in their tissues. Okay, so then with with climate change, is there an effect on even what you're doing? Like when you take these guys out, after they've settled and grown into their multi-polyp mm-hmm. things, you go and resettle them out on the, the reef, or so that's the yeah that's the objective. And then with climate change, though, isn't it like how how is that becoming successful? Because it's it sounds like you're you're taking them and saving them, and then putting mm-hmm. them back out in yeah. danger. No, that's a great point. Um, actually, so a lot of the corals that we use as broodstock, meaning they're like the source materials for. Um, either asexual fragmentation or or producing offspring, they're actually, they come from nature. And because the Florida Reef Tract has undergone a series of very stressful, acute events, like a cold snap in 2010, um, coral bleaching events, disease, pretty much a lot of corals and what you what's out there still that means it's already undergone several selective events and several stressful events so kind of what's out there is already resilient and tough and we bring those back and we use them and we also do a number of experiments so 
to identify the most resilient one, the strains. So we use the word genotype, and it basically just means different strains. And different strains um, can be disease resistant, can be um, have higher thermal tolerance. And so we make sure that we use the already resilient corals for continuing to propagate. So that way we put them back on the reef, they have a higher chance of surviving under the stress because they came from parents that can survive that stress. And part of the program that you're doing is taking these guys and because they wouldn't meet out in the wild, you're making them meet. So, okay, now right, it's all yeah. Together and we can actually <laughs> choose, right? So we can take temperature tolerant corals that are naturally occurring and disease resistant corals that are naturally them, occurring. Exactly. Right. And, and then you cross. Yeah, then you cross yeah. them and then you generate offspring that have both of those traits. So they're super corals. I don't like that word. Okay. <laughs> you, gotta, you are correct. Yeah. That is that is the word that's used to describe that, but I don't like to say They're that. They're ex-corals. They're just really resilient. Resilient, resilient corals. They're resilient. Corals. I think They're stress tolerant. Stress tolerant. That's a good word. Corals. Stress tolerant. Super corals, I feel like, can mean so many different it's, things. It sounds unnatural, but this one, they came from nature. Well, yeah, of course. They're natural. Yeah. They They're came just... from natural varieties. Yeah. They just helped them be in proximity to each right. other. But they're both from the Florida Reef Act, which is good. Um, well, so what's your favorite things about doing this work? I can't imagine how you would narrow it down, but you gotta try. I think <laughs> my favorite thing is just that the novelty of it. It's it's um, coral sexual propagation as a restoration intervention is remains largely experimental. There's so much we don't know. So almost anything we do is exciting, and we're getting new um, information, valuable information, and so. Um, there are so many discoveries, and even though there's so many challenges, it's, it leaves a lot of room for innovation and exploration and just um, seeing really cool things happen that happen very rarely. And so being a part of it, you know, in every step and every, every stage of the process, um, you learn something new and see something exciting. And, um, yeah, there's just so much room for exploration. What's one of the greatest rewards you've had doing this so far? The greatest reward, I think, has been... Um, the fact that this year I was able to generate Moat's first batch of homegrown, homegrown coral babies. So typically we would receive larvae from other collaborators and settle them and rear them. But this year I was able to get corals to a sexually mature state, bring them in, have them spawn, cross them. And now we have our own batch of sexual crudes that are generated from Moat's own broodstock. So now Moat can do every step of the process of coral sexual propagation. And this is huge because not a lot of facilities can do this. And I think being a part of that and really leading that has been the most gratifying. Yeah, Sounds like it, a, yeah. It's amazing. That's so, yeah. yeah. We're so excited that that's happening. We can't wait to see where it goes. Um, before we wrap up for today, I wanted to ask you, well, two more things. Like, What's the hardest part about doing this work, first of all? like what, what Setting the mood. Setting the mood. That's, Finding the right light setting. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If I, I mean, if it were, if I were in your place, which I would never have the brains to be, but if I were, I would be. It would be hard for me to to watch. You know, the challenges that the corals mm. are facing. But you're doing good things. So what's what challenges you in the in the work? Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is just the rarity of the sexual events. So it usually only happens once a year. So progress can be slow and you kind of have one shot a year to, to make it happen. Um, but luckily we have 
uh, we're setting up a system called an Exitu spawning system. So we can use Aquaria and different aquarium trade equipment for simulating all of the different environmental cues that um, corals use to uh, mass spawn. And now we can do it in the lab. So now we don't have to wait for every August mm -hmm. when everything's spawning at the same time. We can do it in the lab, and that's going to propel research. Really, you know, I think it's going to propel it forward very quickly. But it is still challenging in that these events are rare. They're in the field. Um, they're at night, and because the populations are so degraded, it just makes it that much more unpredictable. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think that's probably the, the greatest challenge. But we're trying really hard to develop interventions and strategies to maximize success and get over these hurdles. Yeah, and it sounds like the last thing I was going to ask is just what your plans are coming up, and it sounds like this um, so part of your plans sound like they're going to be this controlling the process of reproduction so you can do more of it, do it better. What else, if anything else, what else do you have coming up? I would really like to establish a um, coral sexual propagation and manage breeding program at Moat. Cool. So doing what I did with the staghorn corals and applying it to other threatened species, especially the slow-growing massive species. Yeah. Um, so basically just incorporating more species and, and getting that process worked out. Um, but as you said, also developing these ex situ spawning systems because they really have the opportunity to... Um, help with groundbreaking research regarding um, sexual propagation research. Now, when you say the massive species, you mean like the brain corals and right the, the boulder, the boulder species. Okay, like Orbicella, the mountainous star coral, and the great star coral, and yeah, because those are something when you when they used to be around, you'd come up, you know, when you're diving, you come up upon one of those, and it's this huge yeah brain coral is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't see that. They're anymore, so impressive. Though. I know. I've seen. I saw some um, Orbicella fabulata mountains. I'm talking like 15 feet high really? in the upper keys. I had never seen anything like it before. It was breathtakingly beautiful. And you know that those colonies have to be centuries upon centuries old. Yeah. And it was actually, when you come up on them, they're healthy and beautiful. And it's just, you're mesmerized. And then you go around the backside of them and you see they're infected with the uh. disease. And you know that centuries upon centuries of growth and structure it's going to be wiped and out. foundation and reef is probably going to be <laughs> yeah gone yeah. within a few months so there's like i don't know the good and bad of that yeah it's crazy i i, I tell friends you know about the state of the corals and they they don't believe me they and i'm like why because you can't see it yeah you know it's it's incredible that's my colleague dr abigail clark had um previously made a really good comment about on the surface everything looks fine it's a big beautiful blue ocean and the sunny skies but underneath things are not no. going as well no yeah so we're lucky that we have people like you people like dr aaron muller who's talked to us before and all the people down in our keys lab working to make them closer to being fine than they have been for a long time so give a shout out to the yeah OA i gotta give people. a shout out to dr aaron muller she's oh, yeah. she's been great she's been a huge supporter of my research Oh, absolutely. So it was. It has been great to talk to you. Did we? You. Is there anything we forgot to ask you? That's like. Or is there anything you'd like to say to people, like when they're out there diving? Um, I would just say, you know, have respect for for the environment. I think that's pretty pretty simple and standard, but it goes a long way. And um, you know, we everyone on this planet directly or indirectly relies on coral reefs and the ecosystem functions and services that they provide. 
So um, I would say go out, watch Chasing Coral. You know, that's a good documentary to get people at least exposed to the to the, the topic. It's very good, um, yeah. Yeah, so I would say at least just <laughs> become aware. First of all, become aware and then stop using single-use plastics. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know how many times I go out yeah. diving and you see these seagrass or these um, sargassum algae, sargassum <laughs> algae uh, mats floating and – they're just littered with plastic pieces and straws oh, really? and um, microplastics. Microplastics, uh, and I would say that's what I would recommend to people. If you're in a landlocked state, if you're nowhere near coral reefs or the ocean, the biggest contribution, other than cutting down your carbon emissions, is you know stop using single-use plastics. There you yep. go. Um, it yeah, it's it's a huge problem in our oceans. So listen to uh, Dr. Cook here and do the right thing. Yeah. Recruit. No. Recruit. That's right. <laughs> we're trying to recruit you. Let her recruit Re- you. <laughs> Big question is Sade or Kenny G? Oh. <laughs> Do we endorse things what on about, this um, yeah. Barry? Was it Barry Manilow? Barry White. <laughs> Barry, Barry White. Barry, there we go. Barry White. Yeah. Barry White. We need some Barry, Barry White. White. Yeah. Barry Manilow, a little no. different. I was thinking of a Barry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Barry, I think we're done. Let's bury this. Let's bury this. <laughs> let's bury this. <laughs> and then we'll exhume it very soon and share yeah, it with all of you. That's right. We can't wait. All right. Well, it's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you again. For, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And we will see you soon for another episode of 2C Fans at Moat. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you. Bye.